Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. Now, a word from Troy Hess. Thank you, Valentine, and hello, Rochester. Just wanted to let you know that we have a new web address for IROC Plumbing. This is a big announcement, so I asked Valentine to help us. Honored to help, Troy! We want to make getting plumbing services in Rochester as easy as possible. That's because you care! Thanks, Valentine. Okay, what's the new web address? IROC.Plumbing! Sounds very impressive when you say it. That's because I enunciate! I think everyone will remember IROC.Plumbing now. It's actually very fun to say! I guess it is. IROC.Plumbing. IROC.Plumbing. IROC.Plumbing! Hey, Valentine. Yes, Troy! You know you only need to use that voice when you say IROC.Plumbing. Not sure what you mean! IROC.Plumbing. But welcome to the Empire Builders podcast. Dave Young along with Stephen Sample, and we, we share stories about uh, people that have built themselves an empire. That's correct. And today, uh, Steve uh, t- told me we're going to talk about Harry. Harry's Razors. Harry. Yes. Harry Harry's, from Harry's, you know, Harry. Harry from Harry's Razors. That's it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Do tell. I mean, I've, I think I've like peripherally heard it, but I don't think I've used the product. Yeah, I've not used the product either. And I also remember like when they first came out, you know, and they were advertising primarily online. And then, you know, but now you see them in Walmart and in Target and, and whatnot. They become, you know, really quite a quite a big deal and really a disruptive force in the shaving business. But in terms of a disruptive force, one of the main actors in this we've heard of before because it was founded in 2012 by Andy Katz and Jeff Rader. And Dave, you may remember the name Jeff Rader. He was one of the founders of Warby Parker back in episode 80. All right. So Jeff, he's got a couple of big successes under his belt because Warby Mm -hmm. Parker, as we know, was huge, was huge. So they launched in July of 2012. In 2016, they had 2 million customers. 2017, their product was launched in Walmart and Target. 2019, Schick was going to buy them for $1.4 billion, and that purchase was blocked by the FTC. So they became, you know, in seven years, a pretty big deal from startup to being a business worth, even though the sale didn't go through, but still valued at one4 billion dollars and when they started and and frankly the market still is but when they started heavily dominated by Gillette like Gillette was a 70 percent market share today it's been whittled down by companies like Harry and uh, the Dollar Shave Club where Gillette is like 50 percent but still 50 percent of a market is is big it comes and goes in and out of style but like men are always going to be shaving their beards off yeah. Right. They're always going to be shaving whiskers off. Right. Like even so, guys like us, we're shaving part of our face, just not our entire face. Right. Yeah. It's not ever going to just be a fad business, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. So Harry's really pioneered the direct to consumer model. 
they were sort of you know one of the first into that because at the time Gillette was sold in retail and Harry started online and did online advertising that's how they started and a lot of what they did is not as effective today but really worked well a decade ago so Andy and Jeff met at Bain and Company and it was a consulting firm they became friends and they both left to join private equity firms then they were off to business school Jeff of course starts Warby Parker with somebody's while he's in Wharton. And if you and anybody has not listened to that story, go back to episode 80. Yeah. It's like it's almost unbelievable. They started this business online, and I wish I kept some of the old ads. And they did this retargeting, right? So, which again was much more effective a decade ago than it than it is today. For listeners that might not know what retargeting is, it's that phenomenon where you are you show some interest online in a product or a business. And you change your mind and you do something else, but the ads for that product or business follow you around for weeks, right? right. You're being retargeted. They're like, oh, you were interested in this. And, and so those ads will continue to persist. One of the most annoying things to me about retargeting is you actually buy the product, you don't need it anymore, and the ad still persists. Like they yeah, follow you around. Yeah, absolutely. That's you my, still get the ads. My little side rant on retargeting. So now we rejoin our main story. <laughs> so it's October 2011, and Andy gets an idea for Harry. He's driving home from work, stops at a drugstore, goes in to get some razor blades. The product is locked away because razor blades are a high priced small product that often gets stolen. And he's wandering around the store looking for help to get it unlocked. And while he's waiting, he's looking at the packaging and the branding, and he sees poor packaging. Nothing stands out. And when he finally gets the blades, he pays 25 bucks for four blades. And in that moment, he feels ripped off. He knew it was expensive, oh. but it was that light bulb moment because it was expensive because there's one supplier. It's basically a monopoly, just like Warby Parker. He saw the parallel. Mm -hmm. So he sent a note to Jeff, who's like the guy who was involved with Warby Parker. And he said, we should do this category because he and Jeff have been, you know, kept, kept in touch. And it so much felt like the early days of Warby. This also resonated with Jeff. And Jeff said, yeah, let's do this. But there was something extra to it because Wallace was direct to consumer, very powerful, something he understood. You also had repeat purchase and a completely novel idea in the shaving space. Yeah. So he was like, I love this. They knew there was big money in this because Gillette had sold around that time to P&G for $50 billion. So they knew there was money there. They knew it was profitable. And yeah. everyone agreed it was a poor experience. Here's what they didn't expect. They had a couple of challenges as they started to explore this. Most of the manufacturers are owned by Gillette or tied up by Gillette from the standpoint of, no, we, we, have, no, we have no capacity. We're making crap for Gillette. So the, and, the people that make blades. Yes. And, and yeah, And wow. not just anyone could do it. Razor blades are actually very hard to make. It's very precise, very difficult to make these very thin, flexible blades that don't cut mm -hmm. the face, but actually just take a little bit of skin off the surface. They spent a year researching into the market, just trying to find a place to make this stuff. They didn't, initially, they did not understand how hard that was going to be. It's very sophisticated technology, really, really hard to make. Even the steel is very, very specialized and only comes from, from a couple of places. And they also learned there's a big difference in performance between low quality and high quality, like yeah. just night and day. 
and it's highly automated. You're putting this perfect edge on these little blades over and over again. And so the industry grew up in places where there's great engineering. Most of the blades are made in places like North America and Germany. And it's also uh-huh. very vertically integrated. So even if they could find a manufacturer, then it's like, how do you make it, how do you make it unique? You know, this was the big yeah. challenge. They're looking for a manufacturing partner. And one day, Jeff is reading a shaving blog done by a safety blade user. So, you know, the safety blades are those little blades sharp on both sides that you put into a, mm-hmm. you put into a handle, right? And he read mm-hmm. about a factory in Germany called Fine Technique that they said made some of the best double-edged blades in the world. Okay. Now, it turns out they also made a lot of other blade products. So they reached out to them cold. So they reached out to Fine Technique Cold and asked the factory to send them some samples to try, and they tried the product, and it was really good. And the steel for these blades came from Sweden. It was very specialized steel. Heat, cool it, make it malleable, all that other stuff. In January of 2012, they go to Germany to visit the factory, and they wanted to do this customized product, make their own handle, colors, et cetera. And the factory is in this little teeny tiny town in former East Germany called Eisfeld. Uh And it took them quite a while to get some credibility in the factory because they came across as a bunch of crazy marketing American sales guys to these very East German engineers, right? (laughs) So what they did to make it legit, they committed to buying a million blades from these guys. But here's the fun part. They didn't have money. They hadn't raised anything yet. (laughs) So he said, we'll buy a million blades from you. All right, great. Now we got to raise some money quickly. So Jeff uh, Jeff quits his job. They put some money in, but they still need about $500,000. So they went back to Warby Parker Investors, right? People that okay, he had yeah. made a lot of money in the past. So we went back to Warby Parker Investors. But not all of them liked the Harry idea. But they found enough. And in fall 2012, they find Harry's. They both quit their jobs. And Harry was the name of one of their grandfathers. And they wanted to be this father figure type of thing. And they felt if they could pair this strong name with some fun colors and nice design, that would really strike a chord. And it would be different from what was out there. Like most of the ads at the time were these handsome guys shaving with a woman hanging around. So they wanted Mm -hmm. to do something different. So they raised $4 million in the first round, launched in March 2013. They had to design a handle, make the cartridge, website had to be built, and the host had to make all of this stuff. And they started by making a shave set, which was a couple of handles, blades, and shaving cream for 15 bucks. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Hey, Rick, how's it going? Okay, fine. (laughs) That doesn't sound okay. Well, what is it? My business. What about it? You probably wouldn't understand. Hit me. Well, you know I love it. But? My revenues have flatlined and I'm not growing anymore. Okay. Well... It's frustrating and depressing, and it was so much better when we were growing. Oh, I bet it was. And nothing I've tried has moved the needle. What about talking to Steven? Steven who? You know, the guy that hosts this podcast. Really? You think he could help? I hear he runs a paid-for-performance marketing agency. I wonder how that works. Why don't you ask him? How? Book one of those free starter sessions on the podcast website. I don't know. You can't say you've tried everything. If you don't try this. You're right. I might even learn something. I bet you do. Thanks, man. Let's go grab a bite. Yeah, sounds good. Right after you call Steven. Okay, okay. Book your starter session on this podcast website. Just visit the Empire Builders Podcast. 
Com and click on Get Started. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. So on launch, they have 12 full-time employees. They turn on the website. They also did the same thing that they did launching Warby Parker, where they had a PR firm, and they used the same PR firm to create lots of buzz ahead of time, and they got great press. So they're running around New York before the launch, doing this pre-launch strategy, mm-hmm. and they got tons of traffic right away. They got on all sorts of different men's blogs and on, on Crate. They sent samples and everyone loved it. Within a month, they're sold out. And probably, you know, people are like rooting for them because they, they want to get out from under the, the oppressive thumb of monopolistic Gillette. Yeah. And when they were sold out, they also did something that was fun. And again, you know, I always like when you sell out and you do something rather than just saying we're sold out, right? Mm-hmm. So they ran a PR campaign, and what they did was none of the staff were going to shave until the customers could. <laughs> and this became That's a great so social media piece, uh-huh. right, of all these unkempt, like, we're not going to shave until our customers can shave. Yeah, I like that. And so when they launched, they were getting this feedback from customers. Customers loved it. And so they went back to their supplier and they said, look, this is going to be huge. Can you give us a dedicated line? The other thing is they suddenly realized, you know what? They got worried that Gillette might cut the legs out from under them. So they decided to buy the factory. They spent two months negotiating to buy the factory. And what they managed to do when they got the agreement of the factory was they raised another $65 million in equity and $35 million in debt, and they bought the factory. But here's what freaked them out. Overnight, they now have 500 employees. <laughs> and they really felt in, the way to country this. that they yeah, they, they don't they don't really know. And the cultural differences. These people oh, like sure. these people are manufacturers versus technology, fast versus plan. Like there was massive amounts of tension. And I even remember them advertising the story of buying the factory in their ads. I wish I kept it because it was written Mm. like it was from Harry. Like it was written like it was from this grandfatherly person. It was really a beautiful piece of copy talking about buying this factory in Germany. When you think about it, it was a crazy David versus Goliath narrative. Gillette was 70% of the market and people got behind it and loved it. The guys really started to learn how to market and, and get things made. So it's 2014. Remember, they launched March 2013. The plan was to do $10 million 2014. They did that in June. They're on their way to 20. Oh, wow. They're already running out of capacity at the factory. And they really wanted to establish themselves. So they raised capital, raised some more capital to build out the factory and the plant. 2016, they launch in Target. This really got attention because Gillette Mm. had to drop their price. And they felt like, wow, here's a win. Gillette dropped the price. Now, here's the other thing Gillette did. Gillette did a campaign that said, people who try Harry's leave. So Jeff and Andy sent a letter to Gillette disputing that, saying, no, 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 you're wrong. And then they published the letter as a piece of advertising. (laughs) When you're battling a Goliath like that and you make them react... And then you can use the interaction. Like there's no, the only side in that battle that can lose is Gillette. No kidding. Right? Gillette should never have blinked an eye 
No, they really should not have. But part of what scared Gillette is that when they launched in Target, and Harry's worked really closely with Target, they wanted to create a different aisle experience. Overnight, they took 50% share in Target of razor blades. Now, there was a bit of a halo effect, because I remember walking into seeing it in Walmart. You're already familiar with it. You had seen it online. They had been doing all sorts of things. So even if you weren't a customer of it, because it was this online thing, when you walked into Target and you saw it, look, there's the halo effect of this suddenly felt more real because Target gave its approval to this company. But yeah, they grabbed the share immediately overnight. Gillette responds. They do this letter. They publish the letter. And it's kind of made me think of a client of ours, Griffin, uh, run by Tom Casey. And we're going to insert here, and we're just going to stop for a second here, let you hear one of Tom's ads. Cease and desist. You got to love lawyer talk, don't you? I got a letter from the competitor's lawyer accusing us of stealing all their best people. They demanded that we cease and desist. The ugly truth is that the other company was actively driving away their best people. Management didn't treat them right, so they voted with their feet. And most of those plumbers and techs initially hired on somewhere else other than Griffin Service. Except those somewhere else companies weren't any better in terms of how they mistreated their people. So a few of those guys came to work for me at Griffin Service, where I absolutely gave them the respect and appreciation they deserved. Then word got around. If you want the best job you'll ever have, come work for Tom at Griffin Service. That's good news for amazing AC techs and plumbers and bad news for my competitors and their lawyers. Because I'm not going to stop revolutionizing the AC and plumbing industries here in Jacksonville, and I'll never cease and desist from treating my people and my customers the way they deserve. GriffinService.com The whole Target Gillette, that made me think of that ad. You take the action and you actually, you know, you actually turn it into something. So mm-hmm. in 2018, they're now on Walmart. As I mentioned earlier, they were offered $1.4 billion for the business. That got blocked. Three weeks later, COVID happens. They had to circle the wagon. You know, they they saw lots of challenges. The business is still doing great. They've launched a woman's line. So they've really, really disrupted the business. And I think mm-hmm. also paved the way for others in the shaving industry to do some disruptive things as well. well. And, and I know, you know, from recall, like when they're in a place like Target, because they're not the, the giant conglomerate tied to Procter & Gamble now, theirs is a more of a lifestyle display. Yes. Right? It's a little section of an aisle or an end cap that shows them and their products, and, and it becomes a, a brand that you can just sort of uh, identify as, as a lifestyle and maybe an anti-statement of Big Razor, right? And whereas Gillette's strategy always seems to be different, like, like they own a lot of the aisle space, and it's all just variations of the same, right? There, yes. It's, it's all the same product packaged differently colored differently but like you look at it and you can't figure out why it would be any different than the one that's got eight blades instead of the one that's got uh, right. a, a three pack other than price yes and what i thought was really interesting is again it's this whole idea of direct to consumer and we've seen this over and over again that the mm-hmm. companies that have really built these amazing businesses tend to to have this direct to consumer approach like whether yeah. it's online advertising or, it, but it's this whole idea of direct to consumer. But 
But the thing that also really exploded them was when it went in the target, they had two things. One was the halo effect of target. But the other Mm -hmm. is, and you've talked about this a lot in the past, is this idea of aided recall, right? Like you recognized it when you walked in the target because you had also seen, probably seen their aggressive online advertising. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even if you weren't a customer, you're like, oh, I recognize these guys. Oh, they're in target. Oh, that makes me even more comfortable buying it, which is the reason why I think they exploded so quickly in target. And that scared the crap out of Gillette. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I, I think that's a, a key component of this. And it's interesting just from the standpoint, again, it started with this experience of, I didn't like the buying experience. I didn't like the price. There's an opportunity to do something here. Now, it turned out the opportunity was much more complex than they expected because making razor mm-hmm. blades is really hard. But, you know, they persevered through on it and figured out how to do it. They seem to have pulled it off. Yes. But... They also immersed themselves in that space, like how they discovered the manufacturer was reading a blog where somebody just mentions this place. And they go, oh, wow. And it's just like, you know, we've seen in others where it's that immersing in the space and getting to know the supply chain and whatnot that becomes really, really important. It's a cool story uh, and a cool product and and a line of products now. Like they've they've created quite the brand. They really Um, have and uh, go into our uh, Empire Builders Hall of Fame as uh, two founders that have two empires now, right? They're, yeah. They're, uh, it's a double play. How often has something like that happened? Like you look at Jeff Rader and you go, wow, Warby Parker. And then right yeah. after Warby Parker, Harry, like holy jumping. That's so that's make the magic happen twice. I mean, that that is impressive because often often a founder doesn't always realize the magic that, made the first one huge they believe that they have just a midas touch and anything they start is is going to be just magic i think that's a great observation because what jeff saw was the parallels like when you look at warby parker dominated by one or two manufacturers distribution chain expensive all this other stuff Mm -hmm. and it's interesting he drew the parallel because one's glasses and the other's razor blades but the parallels were there the, the term we use for it is, is business problem topology mapping. Yep. Right. Yep. You're looking for the same problem in a different industry that, was, uh, that you can solve in the same way. Yep. And that's essentially what he did. So, because yeah. if you go back and, and review Warby Park, you find, yep, a lot of parallels. A lot of parallels. So it was good for him. Yeah. Amazing story. Thank you for bringing that to the podcast, Stephen. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at theempirebuilderspodcast.com.